This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Oh, come on. That was good. John 5, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish days, holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, he knew that he had been ill for a long time. And he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to, they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he, but he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him at the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here. I want to uh, give you a little uh, cliff note to the title today of I Just Want to Be Healed and hopefully inspire you to leave a little different than how you came. It was 1983, I had just graduated from Statesboro High School, 18 years old, and my mom and dad at their church where they pastored prayed a prayer over me, and my dad gave me a Bible that probably weighed 5,000 pounds, a big King James Bible, and mom and dad sent me off at 18 years old to drive by myself to Dallas, Texas in a Plymouth Champ. That's how much faith they had. Anybody remember the Plymouth Champ? <laughs> Yeah, the reason you don't remember it, it lasted about a year and they're no good anymore. So mom and dad shot me off to Dallas, Texas, and I went to Dallas, Texas to 
I think be in ministry, uh, who really knows at 18, but I went to a Bible college, and the Bible college went this way. I lived in the dorm. You get up, you do breakfast, you go to your classes all morning long. At 11 o'clock, you go to chapel. Uh, chapel, I guess, was three to 4,000 people. That's about how many students were there, maybe somewhere around there. And in chapel, you sit for an hour, you sing, you listen to people preach, and then the rest of the day is free, which means study. For me, it meant go to work, earn money. So at 18 years old, chapel would end. Me and a friend named John would uh, run across campus, hitch a ride into downtown Dallas, go into downtown Dallas, and then we worked for a moving company called Beacons and Grable. And the way they worked is you, they dropped you off at a high-rise apartment in downtown Dallas, and they would tell you, okay, we have to move floor 23 to floor 19 and floor 19 to 5 and 5 to 8, and you just got a list of everything that just had to... So all day long, elevators, moving furniture, and, and not cheap furniture. It was rich people furniture, so it weighed 1,000 pounds. And then you just repeat. You go back home, you study, you stay up late, and you repeat the cycle. So after a while... Uh, when 11 o'clock chapel rolls around, you're tired and you would get demerits or detention. I don't know how they did that to college students, but if you fell asleep, you got in trouble. And so I learned to master the art of sleeping with my eyeballs open so I wouldn't get in trouble. But that's just kind of what chapel was. It was not really an expectation of God to do anything. It was more of just don't fall asleep because I don't want to get in trouble and I got to go to work. But one, one day in chapel... I was sitting there listening to the guy preaching, and there came a fog off the stage. This is what I perceived to be a fog, and I knew it was something different because back then we didn't have fog machines like churches do today. So whatever was coming off, is either the stage is on fire or something because there's a, what I perceived to be like a mist rolling across all the students. And every time the mist would hit students, students would start crying and sobbing, and it's working its way back to me. And I'm kind of 18. I'm a skeptic anyway. So I'm like, this is weird. Don't know what's going on. But when it rolled over me, the same thing. I immediately started crying. And I guess the best I could tell at 18 years old, this was the presence of God. It felt different. It felt weird. It felt like, man, God's in the room. It was overwhelming. I was crying. I was... I was feeling sinful. I need to repent of my sins. I mean, that kind of thing, like God was just talking to me in the moment. And in that moment, at 18 years old, this was probably October of 1983. In that moment, I heard a voice. I don't know if it was audible and everybody in the room heard it, but the way I heard it, it felt like it was audible. And it said this, You will teach my people the Holy Spirit and healing. And that was it. And I, I, I even cried more. I mean, the voice was so real to me of what then I perceived to be God was like talking to me. And so at 18 years old, I set on a journey. Well, at least I know what my life's going to do. I'm going to teach God's people healing and the Holy Spirit. And so I did that. I, I started learning everything I could learn about the Holy Spirit and figuring what is this and teaching it to people. As a matter of fact, June the 2nd, uh, Believers Year University, Believers You here at the church. Wednesday night, all summer long, I'm going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit starting June the 2nd. It's free. You can come out at 7.15. It's called Believers You. But it is going to be all summer about the Holy Spirit. But healing, I always shied away from because I couldn't figure it out. 
And I'm the kind of person I like to figure things out. I like it to work. A should equal B, which equals C. And if it doesn't, I get irritated. Like my personality is if things don't work, I get irritated. I like the lights to work, the fans to work. And when they don't, I can feel tension rising because my, my mentality is things should just work. Well, the thing about healing was it was more irritating to me than freeing because it didn't feel like it worked like I was told. I was told Jesus heals. I was told Jesus is a healer. I was told Jesus heals anybody. And yet what I was experiencing in reality was a far cry different from that Jesus that people told me about, the healing Jesus. Because as I got older, I ended up burying my wife. I buried many friends. Now that I've pastored for 32 years, I've prayed people that have died of cancer, sickness, diabetes, heart attacks, uh, mothers that have lost children, fathers that have lost wives to sickness and disease. And so I always just shy away from it. Maybe a few times a year I'll dive in and talk about how Jesus is a healer and pray for people. And we do. We pray for people every week here. At the end of church, we're going to pray for uh, one of my family's friends who's been given a diagnosis that's not good. So this, I just want to be healed, it goes from a, a young guy that's 18 to I'm 56 now. And it has been an all-out journey to figure this out. Of why does it seem like some people get lucky and get healed and others of us just don't ever get healed? It, it just doesn't seem fair. And so I thought, why not just begin to teach here on this property what I believe to be true and I've worked out. So over the next several Sundays, we're just going to hang on this topic to really try to figure this thing out. Let's jump into what Ryan read. It's an interesting story. Crowds of sick people. How many of you know crowds hang out together? Birds of a feather flock together. And what I've learned as I've grown up is, is on planet Earth, there's always going to be sick people. They're everywhere. We've just come out of what is called a pandemic where we've just feared sickness. Ryan in his reading says, Crowds of sick people gathered together, blind, lame, paralyzed, and they lay on the porches. But one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. It's kind of a romantic story that there's this crowd of people. Can you imagine a crowd like this? I don't know how many. Several hundred. One dude's been there 38 blooming years and cannot get healed. 38 years doing the same thing that religion told him to do. Lay at this pool and when the pool gets stirred, man, dive in. First dude in wins. First guy in wins. And whoever gets in first, you're healed. Jump up. Happy. Everything's good. 38 years of losing. 38 years of religion. 38 years of nothing. And in verse 6, the Bible says Jesus saw him, knew he had been ill for a long time, which is romantic, that Jesus knows my problem. And Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? How many of you like that one? All right, ponder this one for a second. 38 years of, of being ignored, 38 years of losing, 38 years nothing ever goes my way, and then a dude, a random stranger that you don't know, you've never met him, random stranger walks up and says, hey, bro, you want to be well? And this is the guy's reply. I can't 
The sick man said, I've got nobody to help put me in the pool when the water bubbles. Somebody else always gets in ahead of me. In other words, my life is terrible. I gotta, I'm riddled with excuses. But Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. I got one amen. I'm going to read that one more time. Jesus said, stand up, pick up your mat, walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat. Here's, this is the weird part. He began walking. 38 years, never walked, instantly healed. He's walking. I mean, how does he even know how to walk? He's never walked for 38 years of his life. 40 years of never using the lower half of his body and in the snap of a finger from the Son of God, the brother gets up, rolls his mat, and starts walking. That's mind-blowing. Next verse. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He only does, this is, he's talking to the religious people who are ticked. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son will do. For the Father loves the Son, shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to even do greater works than healing this man. And I'm thinking to myself, what could be greater than healing this dude? A dude, 38 years, laying in a pool, nothing goes his way. Jesus stops his work day, picks the guy out, says, Beth, what do you want me to do for you? And Beth says, well, I, I, I just like to walk. Pick your mat up, get out of here, go home, you're welcome. And then we all cheer and go, my Lord, 38 years, Beth has never walked. Jesus called this woman out of a crowd, picked her out, soloed in, zoomed in on her. What do you want me to do for you? That's what you want me to do. Great, get out of here. You're, it's done. And then we all clap. And he said, now I'll tell you, you saw this. You're going to see other things that are going to blow your mind. So when I read that line, you will be truly astonished. Here's what astonished me. Not that Jesus healed him, but this is what astonished me. The most astonishing thing to me is why didn't Jesus heal everybody at the pool? This is your magic moment. This is the pool of religion where religious people hang out all day long waiting on an angel to stir the water so somebody gets rich, richly blessed by being number one. And number one gets the prize because number one in the pool gets healed. And then you, the Son of God, Jesus, walks to this pool that has been here for centuries. And he doesn't do this. Hey, I'm here. I'm going to blow your mind. You don't need this water anymore. I am the living water. Everybody at the pool, it's time to party. Go home. And they're all healed. And they all go home and go, oh my God, this dude just showed up, shut the pool down, we all went home well. Not Jesus. He picks one dude. But yet I've told you heal everybody. But you tell me you only do, can, can do what the Father tells you to do. So if you can heal everybody, why do you solo on one dude? Why not everybody? Why don't you heal everybody? Why did this guy get lucky? Only one guy got healed, not everybody. And Jesus and the guy walk off from the pool that day. Here's the thought, the truth that I've learned. 
If you read the Bible about Jesus, the stories of Jesus, he didn't heal everybody. He only healed some. He left other people sick. And if you read it, he seemingly ignored people altogether. Don't you love this Jesus? The Jesus that doesn't heal everybody, he only heals a few people. He only heals some. He leaves other people sick. And some people, he just seems like he doesn't even care. He just ignores you. Never pays attention to you at all. Because what about all the other people? We all clap for the guy that got it, but does anybody in the room care that nobody else got it from him? Where's the compassion? Where's the God? You tell me you're compassionate. Well, where is your compassion? You mean you're that arrogant that you'll heal one dude, get him up, walk off, and leave all these hurting people? I thought you were a social justice warrior, Jesus. You want everybody to equally be well. Why don't you equally heal everybody? Prove that you love us all the same. You tell us you love us the same, but obviously you don't love us the same. You love this guy more because you picked him out of a crowd, chose to do it for him, but you didn't do it for me. And that Jesus bothered me for a long time. When I would read about this one, he didn't heal everybody. He, walked, he left a whole pool of sick people. He left a whole pool of people lying there. But the thing that astonishes me, in the story, not one blooming person in the story raised their hand and said, uh, how about me next? None of them. That ought to tell us the power of religion. You mean we've laid here for centuries trying to get lucky and a stranger from Nazareth, this a backwoods redneck, walks up and goes, Hey, Billy, what do you want me to do? I just want to walk. Okay, good. Get your mat go home. Billy pops up, runs off, and not another blooming soul around the pool said, uh, dude, did you see what he did for Billy? Hey, you, hey, 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 carpenter boy, how about me? Me next. Nobody said anything because religion keeps you in a place that will never raise your hand to say, what about me, God, and your power on my life? We're used to religion. It's the way it is. Suck it up. Some people get lucky and live a long time. Some people don't and they die young. Suck it up. It's part of the crowd. Suck it up. This is the way life is. If you get sick and die, suck it up. It's why they give you medicine. Take your vaccine. Go get your, go get your inoculates. Go, go take your medicine. Take your Advil. Take your time. That's the way we do it because some people get lucky and they live a long time. Gene and June. They're lucky. Look how old they are. He's 84. He still goths. He's 84. Last week he ate a cheeseburger with bacon on it. You can't eat a cheeseburger with bacon. He should be dead by now. How did he get lucky when a guy 45 years old drops dead of a heart attack and he was skinny and a runner? It makes me come to this conclusion. You want to live a long time, eat cheeseburgers, quit running. Right? It just doesn't make sense. And both of them love Jesus. It almost seems like life is so unfair. So Jesus, the Son of God, walks up 
I don't know. It's obviously on his plate that day because there's nobody at the pool that was requesting prayer. Nobody at the pool said, hey, me. So on Jesus' to-do list that day from his father who tells him what to do, today, go by the pool, okay, go see Billy. Billy's been there a long time. Heal Billy. Okay, you got it? Heal Billy? Got that? So, don't nobody got it. I thought that was the greatest joke ever. It's like, dude, I'm bombing at the night at the Carlton. Like, man, I don't need to be a stand-up, right? Heal Billy. Yeah, nobody got it, so yeah. I'm just going home. So, so Jesus is there. And so on that day, Jesus wakes his boys up. Hey, fellas, all 12 of you come. We got to go. Where are we going? We got to go heal Billy. We got to go to the pool. What are you going to do at the pool? I got to heal Billy, man. I'm going to tell him to get up. He's, what God told me, he's been there 38 years. I got to go. So Jesus walks over. Billy, get up. Go home. I'm done. Check the box. I did what the Father tells me to do and leaves. Nobody else says, what about me? And so therefore, the conclusion of this story is that Jesus sometimes does ignore you. Sometimes he really doesn't care if you're sick. He's just going to leave anyway. But maybe it was to teach us something about the Father that if you've laid there and saw somebody finally get healed in a different way, wouldn't it at least make you think, what's going on here? Have we done church so much that nobody has an expectation that something might be going on that's different than we've ever done it? Or do we just do religion? And nothing ever changes. Dad still hates mom. Mom's still this. Kids are still that. I'm still sick. But we're going to church by God. Get up, put your clothes on. But nothing changes. Nothing ever happens. And so this became the thing that bothered me because here's the thought that I landed on, and it's this. Maybe fate, and I used fate because that would be the word the world would use for God. So maybe fate, God, maybe he doesn't want everybody healed. Maybe he's got some kind of thing up his sleeve to leave a group of sick people laying there. Maybe they're for an object lesson. Maybe they're an I told you so. Maybe you're in sin and I'm going to leave you there anyway. So good luck. But as I've walked this out in my life, I've come to this thought that is very forefront in my brain. Is that, well, maybe God doesn't want everybody healed. And then therefore, some of us just suck it up and live the best life you can and enjoy what you get. The cards have been dealt to you. It is what it is. And, well... Maybe you're not one of the lucky ones. Because 30 years of pastoring, I've buried people with cancer, and I've buried people healthy. I've buried people that died in car wrecks. I've scratched my head, prayed my guts out, nothing happened. Just last week at Believer's U, when we closed out the Revelation class, I prayed over everybody in the room. We anointed them with oil. My dad, front row, came up afterwards and said, Woo, look at what God did. And he had his fist. I thought he's going to punch me. He didn't like what I said. <laughs> he said, God healed my hand. He said, I had arthritis and I couldn't close my fist and now I can make a fist. And I'm like, glory to God. 
Then from the back, I had a prophetic word that God was healing somebody from ringing in the ears, and Jennifer came up at the end of uh, the, the class, and she said, my ears have been ringing for nine months, and when you said somebody here has ringing of ears, my ear ringing went away. And I was like, glory to God. Hallelujah. However, what I didn't tell you is that for the last three months, I've had a rash all over my upper torso. Like just itch like wildfire. I've been to doctors. I've been checked out. I lathered up with enough lotion to slide me from here to Wisconsin. <laughs> and I'm still just itching all the time. It's like I got the mange or something. I look over at my German shepherd and he's like, and I look at me and I'm like, ah, ah. And we're both scratching. Robin's like, quit scratching. I'm like, I just can't. I'm itching all over. Like, ah, I'm on Benadryl. I'm on another kind of thing to keep me quit itching. Take a bath. Take a cold bath. Use cold compresses. Take this. And then everybody and their brother gives you, well, you need to quit drinking coffee. It's probably a Yeti cup. You might have a nickel allergy. I bet it's pollen. It ain't pollen. They're spraying chemicals in the sky over Atlanta. You're getting, you're getting some kind of disease. Oh, no, it's not that. People are shedding from COVID and they're shedding all over you and you're itching. You got the COVID itch. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to be healed. I don't care if it's the COVID itch. Just heal me. Nothing. I've been prayed over. Hands laid on. Elders prayed over. Oil slapped all over me. I've quoted scripture. I've done everything. I, nothing. So that night, Dad, my hand got healed. Jennifer, my ears quit ringing. I'm excited, right? I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I go home. I tell my daughters, girls, you should have been there. They were. You should have listened to what happened. Pops came up. He, he can do his hand like this. He had had arthritis and, and God healed him. And, and they're like, yay. And I said, and Jennifer, that ring, nine months of ringing, gone. And only like my daughter Sophia could say, that's awesome. Still looks like you got your rash. <laughs> ah! Right? Like I wanted to say, why not me? I wanted to say to God, you healed my dad, but not me. And then I wanted to say to dad when he said, look at what God did. I got healed. I wanted to say, you think I get a raise? <laughs> like when God heals your daddy and you're in charge of the church, you ask for a raise. Could I get a raise? God healed you. Not me, though. I go home itching, scratching, me and the dog just sitting around like this. And you know there's nothing romantic about a fat guy that just scratches all the time. I hadn't kissed Robin in four months. It's, She's like, oh, I don't want to get too close to you. I'm like, God, I know. Just, yeah, just scratching. And I'm like, why not me, God? Like I do know it does feel like sometimes you get the raw end of the stick. I mean, if the healing power of God's in the room and heals him, why not me? If, if he can heal Jennifer's ears, then, then why is he leaving me itching? I don't understand you, God. Do you like dad more than me? And God says, well, of course. <laughs> I've been with him longer. Like we know God doesn't like one of us better than the other. He likes us all the same. Then, then what's the deal? Because this is aggravating me, God, because you, I don't understand this. I feel like some people get lucky and some of us get the raw end of the stick. And we all love you. And so I land on this. Now here's what I've worked out. You're getting it in on a Sunday. I've had 40 years to work it out. I want to tell you three stories. They're all short. 
to try to bring home what I believe is going on. Now, the first story Ryan read, Jesus downloads the Father's plan, go to the pool, heal Billy, send him home well, be done. And Jesus does that. Nobody else is healed. We can deduce God didn't want to heal them. We can also deduce, well, none of them either asked either. But we still know they're there. And that bothers me. Because I felt like it would have been a win-win to heal them all. So I'm going to give you three stories that I hope will maybe make sense of it all. Here's the first one. Mark 5. So we got to go back a gospel to Mark. Same chapter, chapter 5. Jesus got in the boat again and went to the other side of the lake where the large crowd gathered. Notice again, there's that crowd of people. Crowds always hang out together. You're going to learn something about a crowd of people. A crowd doesn't equate the power of God. You can have a church of 5,000 people and zero power of God in the room. So let's don't trick ourselves that the more people in the room, the more that's going to be going on. Sometimes the more people in the room, nothing's happening. So then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived, and when he saw Jesus, now we have flipped the script. Now things have changed. Now things are different. Because this time, Jesus doesn't have a, a, a line item to go talk to Jairus. This time, Jesus is busy, he's in a crowd of people, he's got a lot to do, and a dude hears about him and falls down at his feet and starts pleading with him fervently. My little daughter is dying. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Totally different than Billy who's at the pool. Because on this day, Jesus has no intention of meeting Jairus. He does not know Jairus. Jairus is not on his uh, agenda for the day. Jairus is unknown to Jesus. But Jairus says, Jesus is on my agenda for today. And Jairus gets himself up. My kid is at home dying. I don't know if Jesus knows my name. I don't know if he knows my kid is dead. Because if he's God... If he's God, would not he know that Jairus' little daughter is dead? Would not Jesus should, if he's really God, would not Jesus have shown up and said, hey, um, excuse me, crowd, crowd. Hey, listen, I've been in prayer. Ooh, this is good. The Father has told me there's somebody here whose little girl is dying at home. Anybody here? Matter of fact, the, the father says your name is Jairus. J there he is. Jairus, come here. That sounds much more romantic that in the crowd of people, Jesus stops the crowd, calls out Jairus, does this big, no, not this Jesus. Jesus is busy. I got a lot going on. But a dude named Jairus from the back of the crowd falls down at his feet because I really don't care if he knows me. I really don't care if he knows my name or my position in this town. 
I heard who this dude is, and I heard this dude can do weird, miraculous things, and Daddy fell down at the feet of Jesus and laid on Jesus some knowledge that Jesus did not even know. Can you grab that? Jesus did not even know that Daddy's daughter is dying. Jairus dropped knowledge into Jesus that Jesus didn't even know because he's both God and human and Jesus can only know what the Spirit tells him. So obviously the Spirit didn't even tell him about Jairus but what the Spirit did obviously must have done is told Jairus about Jesus. And so something in Jairus said, I'm going to talk to this dude, falls down, pleads with him, next verse. Here we go. And the crowd laughed at him. Do you see, the crowd will never be the people that expect anything out of Jesus. Nothing ever happens with the crowd. And when something happens in Jairus, the crowd begins to mock and laugh. Shut up, dude. What are you doing? Your kid's already dead. You're just bothering the teacher. Because by the time Jesus responds to Jairus' desperate prayer, his kid died at home. And the people come and say, just leave Jesus alone, bro. Your kid's dead. There's no use. And Jairus is like, no! I believe he can do something. So shut your pie hole because it's not your kid. It's my kid. And I don't care if he knows where I live. I don't care if he knows my address. I don't even care if he knows my girl's name. I know who he is, and I'm asking him to do something for me. So shut up. Get out of my yard. I got something I got to do. And I think it went just like that because this is a daddy whose kid is dying. And I ain't got time for your mess of religion. And so they get back to the house. So Jesus makes some leaves and Jesus walks in, take the girl's father and mother and his three disciples where the girl's lying. Jesus reaches down, holds her hand and says to her, he doesn't even call her name. He doesn't say, Diane, known you my whole life. We grew up together. Doesn't even know Diane's name. Has never been to Diane's house. The only reason Jesus is in Diane's bedroom is because Daddy knows Diane, and Daddy knows what's going on with Diane, and Daddy knows Diane is dying, and Daddy went out of his way today, and Daddy got on a donkey, and Daddy sought God, and Daddy went after the carpenter, and I'm not taking no for an excuse. And so Jesus shows up in Diane's room. Doesn't call her Diane. He he grabs her by the hand. She's dead and says, Talitha kum. Which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, (laughs) who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. I love the next sentence like they needed to add this one. Oh, they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Who did it? Who did the miracle? Jesus is minding his own business. Jesus doesn't even know the girl. Jesus doesn't even know the location. Jesus doesn't know the street. Jesus knows nothing. 
He's living his Jesus life. He's doing what the Father wants him. He's carrying out a mission. But while he's carrying out a mission, an unknown stranger shows up who knows him and makes a request of him. And the request he makes of him causes Jesus to go, well, let's go. Now here's what's weird, my take on it. Hey, where are we going? We're going to my house. Uh, dude, you got to help hook me up. I don't know where you live. I've never been there. Follow me. Because there's a lot of us waiting on Jesus to call us by name. Waiting on Jesus to show up at your house. Well, he should know I'm in a problem. He should know my husband's terrible. He should know my kids are, oh, they're just hell yes. I wish he would just show up. Well, he probably won't. He might get lucky. This dad didn't care. This dad isn't sitting there. Can't believe he went to Lazarus' house. Won't come to mine. I can't believe he ate with that Pharisee. Did you hear he was at Simon's house? I tell you what, I heard, you know, the other day I heard he went to Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus, a little midget dude, Zacchaeus. Why would he go to Zacchaeus' house? I mean, if he went to Zacchaeus' house, he went to Lazarus' house, he went to Simon's house and ate with a sinner. Don't you think he would come to my house and care that my kid's dying? I mean, if he really was God and he really did care and he really could do something, he would come to my house because that's what a loving God would do. Not Jairus. I don't care if he went to Lazarus' house. I don't care if he went to Simon's house. I don't care if he went to Zacchaeus' house. He doesn't even know me. He probably ain't coming to my house. But I know him. Tell me where he's at. I'm going to go find him and bring him to my house. And a miracle happened. A healing. Second story. It's in the same chapter. Jesus went with him and the crowds were following. Crowding around him. There they are again. And a woman in the crowd. Here we go again. We're learning something. We're learning that in every crowd of people, there's no guarantee God will do anything. But in every crowd of people, there's always one who is expecting him to do something. In every crowd of people, there's no guarantee Jesus will do a thing. He's not even obligated to do it. But in every crowd of people, there'll be somebody that says, Oh, today's my day. And this woman today... She suffered 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal for many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had only gotten no better. In fact, she only got worse. If he's Jesus, and the woman's in the crowd, and you know all things, is what we tell people, he knows all. Don't you think a compassionate, caring, loving God would have been, oh, wait, woo, I just got a download from heaven. There's a Becky here who's bleeding. Becky, Becky Bleeder, been bleeding for 12 years. Come on down, come on down, Becky the Bleeder, 12 years. I'm going to heal you, Becky. No. Doesn't even acknowledge Becky. Doesn't even give Becky the time of day. Doesn't even care. Becky's been suffering 12 years. Doesn't even care. He's too busy with the crowd. But I'll tell you, who cares? Becky. And she says, next verse, she heard about Jesus. Again, we're learning a lot about this God fellow that walked the earth, that God the Father's teaching us, is it wasn't necessary that he find you, but that you heard about him and sought him out. 
And so she hears about Jesus, comes up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Again, Jesus is just doing his Jesus thing. Walking with a crowd of people. Jesus, Jesus, oh, it's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. You heard what he did? Oh, it's Jesus. He's so good. Jesus, they're singing Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Say the name Jesus. Preach the name of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he walks right past the bleeding chick. Oh, Jesus. He's wonderful. She could have said, if he was who he said he was, doesn't he know? Doesn't he even care? How embarrassing it's going to be if I get up and I'm bleeding everywhere. <laughs> I mean, if he really loved me, he would come and talk to me. If he really loved me, he would seek me out. If he really loved me, he would know that it's too embarrassing for me to get up bleeding as a woman because that's just embarrassing. And Jesus walks by and she bleeds another 28 years. Oh, not Becky. No, 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 not Becky. I don't care if he calls my name. I don't care if he knows my name. I don't care if it embarrasses me. I could give a flip. When that brother walks by me, I'm going to grab his robe. And when I grab his robe, I'm going to be well. And Jesus minding his own business with the crowd. Boys, let's go on. We're going to head to Jericho. I got, oh, woo. Hey, 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 ho. Stop. Jesus, what's wrong? Somebody just touched me. Next verse. Jesus realized at once that healing power left him. <laughs> and she turned around to the crowd. I, wait a minute. If you're Jesus, don't you know Becky touched you? No? Because mm -mm. obviously this is not some info the Father and the Spirit downloaded to Jesus. Obviously, the father's downloading something to Becky. And Becky's like, I don't care. Blooming going to touch his robe. And when I do, by God, I'm going to be well from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And I don't care if you think he's ignoring me or overlooking me or has left me here for 12 years. Today is my day. <laughs> and she grabs a hold of his robe. God, just ponder this a minute. Jesus is just like, yeah, da, da. And then all of a sudden, how? Woo! Who touched me? And the disciples are like, dude, what in God's name are you talking about? Everybody's grabbing on you. That's religion. Everybody goes to church on Sunday and sings songs and gives a tithe. But nobody's life is changing. Because we come hoping if we give money. We come hoping if we serve. We come that he'll have pity on me. Call me out and do something. Not Becky. It's my day today. Who touched me? Next verse. He kept on looking around. <laughs> Meaning he hadn't got a clue. But it was so powerful he's not leaving until he finds out who. 
He keeps looking around. I need to know who did it. And then the frightened woman, you know she's freaking out. She's probably thinking, I'm going to touch him and he's going to keep ignoring me, but I'm getting healed. But it didn't happen that way. It wasn't Jesus seeking out Billy by the pool. It was a woman seeking him out in the middle of a crowd. It was a a desperate father pushing through the crowd to fall at his feet and go, me, me, my kid, my child is dying. It was Becky that crawled through the dirt and said, today it's me. I'm going to get from him what I need to get. And every time the crowd, shut up, be quiet. You just need to live like you live. You might get lucky. But Becky wanted it. Jairus wanted it. So he looks around. Finally, the frightened woman, trembling, realized what has happened, came and fell to her knees in front of him. And she downloaded all the information Jesus did not know. She downloaded the information of her healing. It was me. I'm so sorry. I'm the one that did it. I love his answer. No rebuke. He didn't even ask her name. He didn't say, where do you live? I'd like to go have lunch with you. Nothing. No social security number. No offering. Hey, why don't you give me $1,000 since I healed you? Nothing. Just a simple daughter? Uh, It was you that made you well. I was living my life doing my thing. I was doing my Jesus thing, obeying what my father wanted to do. But today, it was your faith that brought the healing power out of my body. It wasn't some magic bullet from the father. It wasn't some lucky lotto. Today, it was your faith that pulled on me. Proving that healing is not by luck or lotto. Some people get it without asking true. Some people get it because Jesus knows your name and where you live. You get it, great, enjoy it. But for those of us, he passes by. For those of us, he's seemingly ignoring. For those of us who are left at the pool still hurting. For those of us who are still scratching and didn't get the miracle that day. For those of us who wear it well, things aren't going well. Are you going to sit around and whine? Or are you going to finally stand up and go, My God, me today. My faith today. What I believe about you and who you are and what you can do and the word that you have and the power that you have. My body is sick and I believe you're my healer. And I don't care if you healed him Wednesday and her Wednesday. I'm here again, God. Itchy Mark. And I just want you to know that I believe that you are Yahweh, the God who's more than enough, the God who can heal, the God who can deliver, the God who can set free. And I still believe that you're my healer. And I'm not letting go. Well, you're still itching. Shut up. I don't need a crowd. I need my own faith. Well, they didn't call me. They didn't send me a birthday card. Get over it. Your kid's dying. You're dying. And we have to quit blaming things on God. Blaming things that God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God has forgotten me. No, he hasn't. He just wants you to remember him. He wants you to seek out him. 
blind Bartimaeus. The third story, Mark 10, they reached Jericho and as Jesus and his disciples lay off, well, dear God, here they are again. Crowd of people with nothing happening. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. This even gets worse now because he can't crawl to Jesus because he can't see him. He can't go run meet Jesus on the road because he doesn't know where the road is. He's left to beg, completely dark. As a matter of fact, the only way he could know Jesus is not by sight because he doesn't know what he looks like. He could only know Jesus by the stirrings of the crowd. Because it says a, a, a blind guy was there and when he heard, verse 47, he heard it. In other words, his problem, his blindness, the thing that would stop him from knowing God, God wants you to know that the thing that stops you is never really the thing that stops you. Because even though he couldn't see the thing that stopped me, I was given ears and I could hear it. The woman who's bleeding, that's the thing that'll stop you, but I've been given knees and hands, I'll crawl. Nothing can stop the power of God. And so he hears it. Because you can imagine, just close your eyes a minute. Close them tight. You haven't seen for years. Your friends dumped you off here on the chair you're sitting in. And how terrifying it would be if I blindfolded you and said, okay, you got to get back to your car and get home. But you can't open your eyes. None of you can open your eyes. If you can't get your phone, you got to call somebody to come get you. That's the predicament blind Bartimaeus is in. And then, in the darkness, as you can do, hey man, here comes Jesus. It's Jesus. Hey, this is the guy that was in Lazarus. This is the guy that went with Zacchaeus. Hey, this was the guy that healed Billy. Oh God, he's coming. And Bartimaeus hears something. And when he hears Jesus, did I just hear that name, Jesus? Oh God, I've heard it over and over. Next verse. Look at the screen. Be quiet. Shut up. That's what the crowd says. He's never going to heal you. Deal with it. Learn to live the way you live. Take some medicine. Suck it up. Stay sick your whole life. Blame everybody else. Just shut up and quit asking God to do it. Not Bartimaeus. No, it appears again that Jesus didn't even know who the dude was. Jesus was walking right by him, but Bartimaeus heard the footsteps in the name, and he shouts out. They tell him, shut up, so he does what any desperate, non-religious person will do. He shouted louder. <laughs> Son of David, have mercy on me. Not when the father told him you're going to meet Bartimaeus, you'll stop and talk to Bartimaeus. No, it's when Bartimaeus screamed his name that Jesus again stops on his busy schedule and says only what the Son of God could do. Did somebody just call me? Yeah, just some dude over there, man. He's just weird. He always bothers people. 
always, help me. We told him to shut up. Oh, dude, I heard it twice. Like, man, I, heard, I, I thought I heard clear as a bell. Son of David, have mercy. I mean, that's what I heard. Did y'all hear that? Yeah. Well, yeah, we heard it. There's some guy named Bartimaeus. He did, uh, come on, Jesus, we got somewhere to go. No, 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 no. Go get him. I, I want to meet this dude. Go get him. I got time. Yeah, we got time. Go, go get him. Bring, him. bring him here. So they go get him, as only religious men can do. They go over to him after, just tell him to shut up. Cheer up. Come on, he wants to see you. I don't know why he'd want to see you. Blind dude, you ain't got a lick of sense and no value for the community. After I just told him to shut up, I tell him to cheer up. Why? Because religious people always want the glory for nothing. I want my name. I want my title. I want to be a prophet, a prelate, a priest, an apostle, an evangelist. But I don't offer doodly squat. But I want to be in the green room and get the title and drive the nice car. And I want you to follow me on Instagram as I drop my knowledge. So Jesus says, bring him here. So they called the blind man and Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. Yes, it's mind-blowing. Here's the question. What do you want me to do for him, bro? I mean, you just screamed twice. You got the whole crowd worked up. What can I do? Here's what he says. My rabbi, the blind man said, I just want to see. And Jesus said, go. Your faith healed you. And instantly, the man could see. Are you grabbing hold of this? You're waiting on Jesus to have a pity party for you and Jesus just wants to know if you'll sincerely quit your pouting and expect him to do something and use your faith to reach out to his power and by God watch something happen. That's the beauty of these stories. Don't get stuck in the story where he calls Billy and leaves everybody else sick. Be the person that raises your hand and says, me next. You might be walking me by, but I'm going to chase you down. You might be in a hurry, but I'm going to fall on the ground in front of you and go, my kid's sick. I'm sorry. You come into my house. Everybody else is telling me to shut up. I might be embarrassed right now. I've got blood all over me. I don't care. I'm going to touch it. Boom, I touch it. And now he embarrasses me by calling me out. But, but in all of them, he says, oh, uh, let me tell you, just so it doesn't blow your mind, it wasn't the will of my father that was here today. It was your faith. And now it teaches me that my faith is the will of my father. My faith is the will of my Father. So you say, well, I just don't know if God wants me well. Well, if you're talking magic healing, like he's going to come down and just give you a miracle while you eat Cheetos, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you'll get it. I don't know many Cheeto miracles. But if you're talking about your faith pulling down a miracle, well, you might want to put your Cheetos up. Because that God is still on the throne. I don't know. I've never seen a God that just takes a leg and grows a leg. I I admit that, but but I do know I've never met one that doesn't take their faith and pull on his power that doesn't cause all of heaven to come to their defense. And this is what I landed on, the conclusion. 
It's impossible to please God without faith and anyone who wants to come to Him must believe He exists and He rewards you if you'll earnestly seek Him. And I think the message Ryan read to us is so clear that this is the message. I came to you and did a miracle to only prove the majority of you humans here don't want to seek me. You want me to find you and fix you. And I came to do a miracle to show you that healing is resident within me. I just want to know, are you desperate enough to pull on it? That's all I want to know. I'm convinced I can heal. I'm Jesus. And I did it in such a way to convince you it's real. Now I just need to know, are you desperate enough to seek me or religious enough to stay in the crowd and make excuses? And here's the conclusion. I started out with maybe fate doesn't heal everybody, and I still believe that. Not everybody gets healed because God showed up at your doorstep. But I do believe faith makes it possible to anybody. Anybody. Here's communion today. Are you desperate enough to ask Jesus what you want? What do you want Him to do for you? Or are you going to whine and go, I've prayed a thousand times and He's not done anything? Oh, okay. So you just want to shut up and not scream louder because your feelings are hurt. Because you shouted once and he didn't heal. You came to the altar once, you didn't get healed. You got hands, nothing happened. I prayed ten times, nothing. Okay, great, I'll give you that. But is it desperate enough to fall at his feet one more time? Are you desperate enough to say, uh, I've been doing this 38 years, I'm going to do it one more? Are you desperate enough to, well, uh, maybe say, I'm just going to pray harder instead of quitting? I'm going to be like Bartimaeus. I'm just going to pray harder instead of quit praying because I believe he'll honor my faith. Let me pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.